so you had a chance to get some more caffeine. I trust that you are ready. Listen, um, I get the the benefit of hearing the 9 o'clock. So I, I come to 9 o'clock service, so obviously I stay for the 11 o'clock. But um, I, this morning, so I get to hear a message twice. I'm telling you, you're going to wish that you could hear this twice. The good news is we're going to record it. It will be online. This is a packed, packed message. If you are a note taker, go ahead, get your notebooks out. Make sure the pen works. If it doesn't, switch it out, get one that does. Um, Y'all know Jason Phibbs. He's he's a member of our body. He, um, If you've been to Discover the Gathering 2D, if you've been to that class, you've had him as your teacher, so you already know you're in for a treat today. Um, he also leads community group. Just their family is fantastic. We love them. And I love to listen to Jason teach. He's gifted at it. Um, you're going to be full of the Word of God when you leave here today. And he's going to address the next question or asking for a friend series. So y'all know how to welcome people to the platform. So give a big gathering welcome to Jason Phibbs. Good morning. Something um, as we get started. Well, first of all, you can go ahead and start uh, to turn in your Bibles to John <clears throat> chapter 1. And while you're doing that, um, I just want to share real briefly. I was listening to an interview uh, this week with Francis Chan, who, if you guys have heard, wrote Crazy Love and great speaker, teacher, etc. But um, one of the things that he, he said, I've heard before from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but he said it with so much passion. It was just sort of a great reminder. It really spoke to my heart, which was, a manifestation of the Spirit has been given to each one of us for the common good. And we read that and we say that and we're like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, we all have spiritual gifts and those kinds of things. But no, seriously, the, the manifestation of the Spirit of God who created the universe has been given to each one of us, every person here who is a believer, who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, a manifestation of that Spirit has been given to us for the common good. And so that's what we all do here in a body is we identify our gifts and then we put them to use for the common good. And so what's really cool about giving the same message twice is what God's going to do the second time. So <laughs> I know what message I have, but I don't know what God's going to give to you. So that's the cool stuff about this. But um, So in the Ask for a Friend series, um, the question that we're tackling this week is what makes the Bible so important? And there were three specific questions that I was provided from the congregation, and I'm going to go through each one of those. So lucky you, it's a threefer today, right? You get, you get three messages in one, um, and so don't worry, we're not going to go all afternoon or anything like that. But I, I feel confident um, in, with, uh, that the Lord will have something here for all of us. The first question is, is can we turn the Bible into an idol? Can we turn the Bible into an idol? Which certainly is a question uh, for, for those of us who are very, very passionate about the Word and love studying the Word. I think that's something maybe all of us have thought of at some point in time or another. Or maybe uh, you're, you may be on the other side of the spectrum. You may think, man, people are always harping on me about reading the Bible and all this stuff. I got prayer time. I'm spending time with Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe you're making too much of it, that kind of thing. So I think either way the question relates. And so the first thing we need to tackle with that is, is what is an idol? Well, simply an idol is an object of worship. And idolatry is the practice of worshiping that idol. And if we look a little closer in the Bible, and, and I'm going to read a couple verses here. You don't have to turn to them yet. We'll get to John in just a second. But in Exodus 20, 1 through 5, God is giving us the first two of the Ten Commandments. And the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall have no other gods before me. And number two is you shall not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. And so very clearly, God is establishing that he and he alone is the object of our worship. And then he supplements that in the New Testament through Paul's writings in the book uh, of, or in the letter to the Romans when he says in uh, 125, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And therefore, from a biblical perspective, we can establish a very simple definition of idolatry for us as believers. And that is idolatry is worshiping the created instead of the creator. Okay, that's what idolatry is. So the question then is, can we turn the Bible into that? Right? Can we make the Bible an object of our worship? And the answer to that, I would contend, is yes. And I'll show you with three passages in the book of John. If you look at John 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then you skip over down to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now you read this and you go, Well, now, Jason, it just said the, the Word became flesh. It talks about how uh, the Word was God. So doesn't that mean that the Word is God? Doesn't it mean the, the Bible is God? No. And here's why. The object of John's focus here in the book of, uh, or in the Gospel of John and in the letter and in this chapter, the word is capitalized because the chapter and the broader gospel is not about the word, but about Jesus. And Jesus is the manifestation of everything that is God and the word of God. The word of God is bigger than this book. This book does not capture everything that is the word of God. And so when we talk about the Word becoming flesh, what the Bible's not saying is that the Scriptures, which the only Scriptures that would have existed at this point in time would have been the Law and the Prophets. The Scriptures did not physically become into a man, right? That's not what the Bible's saying. What the Bible is saying is the Word, capitalized W, Word, the manifestation of everything that is God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is teaching us. And so when we say that, the point that we're trying to make very clearly there is that the, the Word itself, the Bible, is not God. You can also see this by substituting the word Bible and Jesus in John 1.1. If we were to say, in the beginning was the Bible, and the Bible was with God, and the Bible was God, well, the Bible didn't even exist in what the form we have today, right? That didn't even exist, and so it doesn't make any sense. But if we put Jesus in that sentence, and we say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was God, and, the, or, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, that makes complete sense. That aligns with everything that we understand in Scripture. Now, if you skip over to, let's go to John chapter 4, just a couple pages over. Jesus is with the woman at the well. And if you look over at verse 24, what does he say to the woman at the well? He says, God is what? Spirit. God is spirit, not a book. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And then if you skip over again to chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, Jesus is speaking to the Jews here or giving him a hard time. He just healed someone on the Sabbath, you know, and they're after him. They're like, man, you're not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. Don't you know anything? Right, that kind of stuff. They're giving Jesus a hard time. 
And what does Jesus say to them there in verses 39 through 40? He says, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about who? Jesus. They testify about me, and you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. And this is one of the critical errors that the Pharisees made, and this is the point of the Bible. What makes the Bible so important? What makes the Bible so important is that it points to Jesus. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the one whom the Bible is about. Right? That's what we do, and that's what the Bible is good for. That's what makes the Bible so important. And this was the critical thing that the Pharisees kept doing was they studied the Word. They were masters of the Word. They knew the Word, and yet they used the Word for their own glory and not for His. Right? So that's what we do. So can we turn the Bible into an idol? Yes, we can take this book, and we can make it about our study and our knowledge, and we can use it to point people to us and not point people to Jesus. And that's the mistake. On the flip side, I would also say what I'm not saying is that this is not the inspired word of God. Okay, don't mistake that. Don't walk out of here and say, well, Jason said the Bible's not important anymore. No, 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 no. No, if anything, the Bible is critically important. And in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, Paul writes, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? That's pretty comprehensive. But notice what the Bible is not profitable for is worship. We don't worship the Bible. We worship God. And so that's the takeaway here is that the purpose of the Bible is to point to Jesus. The second uh, question that was raised was, how do we know when what we are hearing or feeling is God? And I know for those of you who are believers and maybe been believers for a long time or maybe even for a short time, a question like this can be very, uh, very personal and critical. And I want to read the full question that the person submitted because I love the way they put it because I completely identify with it. Uh, the person wrote, I read and study the Bible regularly. I discuss it with my spouse, my family, and our community group. I feel knowledgeable, although I freely admit not to knowing it all. And despite, have, despite having knowledge, being saved, and believing in the truth, I feel lacking in my relationship with God. When those around me talk about speaking to God and hearing Him, I haven't had that experience. How do we know when what we are feeling or hearing is God? Now, this is someone I do not doubt has, uh, has been a Christian for a while and has studied the Word and is faithful and, uh, and, and does their best to honor the Lord in all that they do. And yet, when they hear a testimony like the video that we just showed earlier today, and the woman talks about how she had a vision of this and a vision of that, and she heard God say this, she heard God say that, and they look at that screen and they go, I don't have any idea about that. Anybody here can identify with that? I know I can. And the point is, is that I do believe that God is speaking to all of us. I just don't think we realize it. And I'll show you that. If you go to Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been resurrected. And uh, these two guys are walking on the road to Emmaus. And you've probably heard this story before, but we're going to read it again because I think it will help us see this. Uh, chapter 24, verse 13, it says, Now that same day two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. 
but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here the last days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has certainly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So there's a few observations I want to give you from this story. Number one, God is with us even when we don't realize it. As these men were walking along the road talking about Jesus, Jesus himself came alongside them, and they didn't recognize him. And the scriptures say that they were prevented from recognizing him, and the fact is, is we don't know what prevented them. We don't know if it was themselves, if they're on doubt. We don't know if Jesus himself sort of prevented it for, to prove a point. We don't know. But the reality is, is that we can identify with that. We can identify with the idea that Jesus is there, and we just don't feel like we can see him. And yet, as they went along, um, well, first of all, in, in terms of Jesus or God being with us, we know that in the scriptures, when Jesus was born, his name was Emmanuel, which means what? God with us, right? So God was with us in the form of Jesus. And then in Deuteronomy 31, Moses told Joshua, don't be afraid, Joshua, because the Lord is with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. And then when Jesus was talking to the disciples in Matthew 28, and he was giving them the Great Commission, and right before he left to ascend, after he told them what he wanted them to do, he said, don't worry, because I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. So there's no question that God is with us, and yet we struggle with this. And so just like these men, God, didn't, God was with us even when they didn't realize it. The second observation from the story is that they got to know Jesus through time with him in the word. If you look in verse 27, it says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. What's so interesting about this is that we think, man, if I could have just lived when they lived, you know, and, and just been with Jesus and heard from Jesus, or, man, it was easier for them because they could see Jesus and talk to Jesus. And yet when Jesus talked to people, what did he talk about? He talked about the Word. Do you know that almost 80 times he quoted the Old Testament? Well, how many times do we even have him talking, right, in the Gospels? It can't be that much more than that. 
So I, I couldn't find, I was looking for the numbers to see, like, what percentage of the time that he talked was he, you know, quoting scripture. Um, all I know is that 80 times is a lot. And I do know this, is that if you read through the Bible or read through the Gospels, there's no question that Jesus valued the word and used the word to point people to Jesus. And so they got to know Jesus with time with him. To know the word is to know Jesus. To hear from the word is to hear from Jesus. The word is the primary way through which God speaks to us. The word is the primary way through which God speaks to us. The third observation from this story is, is that God opens our eyes and impresses upon our hearts. You look in verse 31, it says, Then their eyes were opened. This is after Jesus broke the bread. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. So they said to each other, Weren't our hearts ablaze within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? I don't know about you, but when I'm hearing a really good message and, and I know the Lord is really using someone, I can sense the Spirit speaking and my heart is ablaze. And that's just a figure of speech, right? I'm not saying anything weird is going on. I'm just saying there's just something inside of me, that being the Holy Spirit, that resonates and tells me that what I'm hearing is truth. And that's what these guys are resonating with, right? They're learning. Right before your very eyes, they're learning how to hear from Jesus. Because they're looking back now, right? Jesus appeared. They're like, oh, there's Jesus. And then he was gone. And what are they saying to themselves? Hey, you know what? While he was talking, wasn't our hearts ablaze when he was talking about the scriptures? And that's what it's like to hear from God. That's what it's like to have a relationship. And I'm not saying every time you hear from Jesus, you're going to get some crazy feeling inside. That's not the point. The point is, is that he's there and he's speaking. And what it, sometimes we don't realize that he's there, but we know that the promise of his word says he's there. And then also that we get to know him by the deeper that we get into his word. And then God opens our eyes and our hearts and he presses these things upon us to help confirm it to us so that we know that he's there. And it's not about feelings, but it's about the truth. And so I want to give you some practical ways to learn to hear from God, not only that you see reflected in this passage, but in other passages. Number one, read the Word. If it's the primary way through which God speaks to us, we need to be in it, right? We need to know it. And I guarantee you that the more you read this Word, the more you're going to see this Word recalled to your memory. And when that Word's being recalled to your memory, let me tell you what that is. That's not you being smart. That's the Holy Spirit working in you, right? Jesus said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave you my spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of all the things that I taught you. Right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is, oh, uh, to show that in Hebrews 4.12, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And this is important. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. If you're having things impressed upon your mind or you're having thoughts in your head or you think God wants you to do something or you're not even sure if that's God speaking, go to this book and see if it aligns, right? When we saw that story and the lady was saying, you know, I had a vision of adoption. Does that align to God's word? Absolutely. So what's the worst thing that could happen, right? The worst thing that happened is, well, God, I thought you were leading me to adopt a child, so I went and reached out, and I adopted a child who needed a home, and I gave them a home, and, and your word said that, and, and I don't see anything wrong there, right? Not to say that that's easy, right? It's a huge step. It's a huge commitment. But the worst thing is is that you stand before God one day, and the Lord says, why did you adopt a child? And you say, well, because your word says so. 
Your word says take care of widows and orphans. And so I did that. Versus if I stand before God one day and I say, and the Lord says, why didn't you adopt a child? And you go, well, I know your word says that, and I, I thought that was you, but I didn't know if it was maybe just me talking to myself, and so I just didn't do anything. Like, I'd rather have the former conversation with God than the latter, right? I'd rather just say, God, I just do what your word said. And so um, reading the word is the primary way God speaks to us. The second thing is we seek wise counsel. Ask somebody if you want to understand more about their relationship with God. If you hear someone having the kind of relationship you want, ask them about it. I guarantee you anyone in here would be more than happy to talk with you about their relationship with the Lord. If you say, hey, you know, brother, sister, you said that, you know, you were talking to Jesus the other day. What do you mean you were talking to Jesus? What that look like? Does that mean you guys were actually having an audible conversation? Because a lot of times we, we make up in our own mind what we think someone means, and that may not be at all what they mean. When that woman says she had a vision, she could have had a vision. I mean, she might be meaning, no, I'm talking Star Wars hologram and everything. I had a vision, right? Or what she could mean is, is that, well, the thought came to my mind, right? I, I saw a picture in my mind that I should adopt a child. And you think, oh, well, I have, I have thoughts, right? I have, I have pictures in my mind, right? So, you know, a lot of times we make things up bigger than what they actually are. We make it hard when it's really not that hard. God's not trying to trick us. God wants us to hear from him, and he wants us to know what he wants us to do. And so much of that, all of it, in fact, is grounded in his word. So we seek wise counsel. Proverbs 12, 15 says, A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. If you don't know, ask. Third thing is you got to trust and act. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. When you hear from the Lord, or you think you're hearing from the Lord, or you're not sure if you're hearing from the Lord, if it aligns with the word, one of the best ways to see whether or not you're hearing from the Lord is to trust him and take some action. Right? You think, man, the Lord's just laying so-and-so on my heart, and I just, you know, maybe I feel like I need to pray for him, but I don't know, that's probably just me talking to myself, or I just talked to him yesterday, so maybe they're just, what's the harm in just going and praying for him? Say, you know what, brother, I, th I think the Lord's just laying you on my heart. I, you know, maybe I'm totally off here, but I'm just going to pray for you, you know, and just let God do whatever he does. And you know what, if this isn't for you, just don't worry about it, right? And you're going to learn through that experience. And Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says what? When you submit to him, when you trust in the Lord with all your heart, what's he going to do? He's going to make your path straight. So even if you go off and you start doing what you think the Lord wants you to do, and you kind of step out in faith, and you're like, Lord, I'm not sure if you're talking to me. I'm not sure if this is me or whatever. What you can trust is that he will make your path straight. He will get you to where he wants you to be. You can trust him with that. And the last thing practically to do is, uh, or, um, and this is really just more of a word of encouragement than anything, is don't give up. Don't give up on your relationship with the Lord and hearing from him. If you want to hear more deeply from him, if you want a deeper relationship with him, 
ask. It says in Luke 11, 9 through 10, when Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer, what does he say? He says, so I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Don't you think if you want a deeper relationship with the Lord, that's a prayer he wants to answer? Right? Absolutely it is. But it's difficult, right? And I know that, and I can appreciate that so much. I've been a Christian for a good number of years, um, and I still have those moments of disappointment, you know, where I think, God, I just, are you there? Are you talking to me? Am I hearing anything? And why? Because while God's not changing, Right? God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's there all the time. He's doing exactly what he's, his word says. He's speaking to me. What happens is that I get messed up. Right? I get distracted. I get off on other things. Or I start doubting. That's what makes it challenging. But don't give up in that because God's certainly not giving up on you. And no matter which way, you, you know, if you stray a little bit or you, you, know, you, you struggle or whatever it is, what does the word say? He's right there, right? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And Romans 8, 28, which I don't even have in here, but just you guys know this. God works all things for what? For the good, right? For those who love him. If you're a believer in Christ, God is working all things for your good. And so here's some reminders I want to give you uh, to kind of sort of close out this little part of it. Um, because I think this will help sort of demystify some of this stuff a little bit, and I think that's a little bit what we need. Like I said, I think we, we make it so complicated, and uh, the enemy's happy to let us do that. Um, number one, don't give yourself too much credit. You know, a lot of times when we have thoughts in our mind and, and something comes to our attention and we think, you know, I, feel, I, I, I think I need to do something about this, and then what do we do? That's oh, probably just me. Right? Or you're reading the word and something really jumps out to you and you think, gosh, you know, that's a good word, or, right? You know, whatever. And then you think, maybe I ought to go do something. Nah, that's probably just me. Right? It's like we're giving ourselves credit for everything, right? Instead of maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to us, right? Maybe God is taking this word and He's doing what He said He was going to do with it, right? Which is bring it to our mind and move us into the places that He wants us to be. The second thing is, or second reminder, is don't get caught up in comparisons to other people. You are unique, and God has made all of us different. There is no DNA like yours, right, in currently or ever, right? We're all completely unique. And so why is it any surprise that all of our relationships with God would be a little different, right? Your relationship doesn't have to be a carbon copy of someone else's. You don't have to look at that woman and say, well, gosh, I'm not seeing vision, so I must not be, you know, I must not have any relationship with the Lord. No, that's her relationship with God. And that even may be a season, right? So God, God goes through seasons with us. Sometimes God speaks to us in this way, and then later on in life, God speaks to us in a different way. And why? Because he's moving us, he's shaping us, he's molding us, right? Making us the person that he wants us to be, having us do the things he wants us to do. So don't get caught up in comparisons. If you want, talk to those people. Ask them, just like we talked about earlier. Try to learn from them, but don't try to copy their relationship with the Lord. Find your relationship with the Lord. I can tell you for me personally, I don't, um, my relationship with the Lord is not, uh, I don't know what you want, uh, super, you know, like personal, uh, not personal, but uh, you know, like 
conversationally type of thing. Like, in other words, my prayer life is not as rich as my study life. Okay, I'll put it that way. So when I read the Word, God really speaks to me through it. Like, that's when I, I like, I just start diving in, and I just, and it, it's all coming to life for me, and the Holy Spirit is just working in that way. Versus if I sit in prayer by myself, it's not that God doesn't speak in that. It's just not the same as it is when I do this, right? And so, and you guys may be the opposite, right? Some of you may go, man, my prayer life is rich, man. Like, God is just all over it. And then when I go to read the Word, I'm like, mm, I'm kind of struggling. I really need somebody to help me with this, right? That's, we're different, and that's okay. And the last one is, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that the enemy is telling you. We have an enemy who doesn't want you to think that you're connecting with God. The enemy is the one who's telling you that all that stuff in your head is just you, right? That you didn't really hear anything. God doesn't want you to go pray for that person. You're going to make a fool out of yourself, right? Doesn't that sound like something the enemy would say? The enemy is the father of what? That's just what he does, right? That's, he can't physically make you do anything, but he can trick you into doing stuff. And especially if you're a believer, he can't, uh, he can't destroy you, but he can, he can uh, confuse you and disengage you. And that's what he does. He, he, he distracts, he lies, he tells stories. And I'm just here to tell you, if you're a person who's been struggling with that, and like I say, I know I can identify with that, and I'm sure other people can identify with that as well, know that he's a liar. And that if you're reading this word, you are hearing from God. I can assure you that. All right, so uh, the last uh, question here is, why do you believe what you believe? That's a big question. Why do you believe what you believe? And this is one of the sort of foundational things of, like, how do you even come to the thought of I should be a Christian or shouldn't be a Christian? And lots of different things we could say about that. Um, I'm going to take a little bit different track than maybe what you're expecting. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to go into a, a long dissertation about the Bible and how it's trustworthy and all the different things, right? You could read The Case for Christ if you've never read that book before. It's a great book. I'll tell you all about that stuff. And there's people doing a lot of great work out there. The Creation Museum in Kentucky is an awesome place if you've never been there. Uh, it's fantastic. goes through all the academic stuff, and they've done an incredible job of supporting the Word and, and, the, and the truth behind it. But I want to show you something in Scripture here that I think will be um, perhaps even more helpful. Well, the first thing is a 17th century French philosopher and mathematician, Rene Descartes, um, sought the answer to a similar question. And his question was, how can we know anything? Um, and after stripping away all the assumptions, and, and he was basically thinking about things like, you know, what if this is just all a dream? How do I know it's not a dream? Um, what if there's just some bad guy out there, some bad uh, deity out there, what, tricking me all over the place, right, that kind of thing. That's kind of the way he was thinking. It was like, how can I know for sure that anything is real? And what he came to the conclusion of was, and you guys have probably all heard this before, is I think, therefore I am. That was his famous uh, quote and conclusion from this. And for that, he became sort of the father of modern uh, Western philosophy. And the idea was is that, well, if I can reason and rationalize whether or not there is a reality or not, or whether there is someone trying to trick me, or whether this is all a dream or not, the fact that I can even think through that means that I must exist. The fact that I'm thinking of an alternative of some way means that I'm here. And the point I'm making about that is, is not necessarily to teach you about Rene Descartes, but the point is, is that everybody believes in something. 
Number one, everybody believes in something. Descartes believed in something. You believe in something. Everyone here, I don't care if you think you're an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, you're believing in something. Every day we operate and live on beliefs in mathematics, biology, chemistry, and a myriad of other disciplines that we don't understand. We take them for granted every single day, and yet we don't give them a second thought. You walked in here, you sat down in that chair, and you did so because you knew it would hold you up. You didn't, you didn't question it. Why? Because it held you up last week and the week before that, and so on. And you've sat in chairs before. And so, so we do these things because we believe in something. Even the belief in nothing is the belief in something, right? So even someone says, well, I don't have any beliefs. Well, that's a belief, <laughs> right? So everybody believes in something. And the second thing is that every belief requires a source of truth and a measure of faith. So the question is, and you, when you're trying to decide what you're going to believe, the question is, is, what's your source of truth, and do you believe in it? Right? Do you have a measure of faith? So what is faith? Well, faith, according to Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And so how do I acquire faith? Well, Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And some versions even sort of expand that out a little bit and say that the word, words from Christ are the words about Christ that we've heard. That's how we acquire faith. And one quick example in the word of that is Matthew 16, 13 through 17 and I'll just read it to you real quick. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Right? Jesus said, what do you believe? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? He said, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Notice that there were different sources of truth, right? Some said Elijah, some said Jeremiah, some said the prophets. But it was what God said to Peter, right? Jesus pointed out the fact that, Peter, the only reason why you know that is not because you're a smart guy. It's because God has revealed that to you. And Jesus said in John 6, 44, just to, to reinforce that, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is not, I could, we could go through all the evidence. And the reality is something I learned a long time ago is that I could, I could give you every fact in the world of why Christianity is true and why you ought to believe it. And the reality is, is that nothing's going to change anything until the God of the universe speaks to your heart and reveals it to you as truth. That's just the way it is. And the good thing about that, the good news for that for us as believers is that it takes off all the pressure of you having to say the gospel in the right way. right? You don't have to go to someone and worry about whether or not you're going to say it right. Just tell what God has done for you. Just tell your story. And God will move in someone's life. He has to turn the light on. right? You're the messenger. He is the light fixture. Right? He makes the light come on. And so, how do we get tangled up in wrong beliefs? Well, in Romans, um, Paul goes through a, um, a section here where he talks about um, basically the fact that we're guilty because we've all known about God. The evidence about God has been evident. Um, in Romans 1, uh, starting in verse 18, it says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. From the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made. 
As a result, people were without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so the three things that we see here in this passage about how, we, how do we then get distracted, how do we get tangled up in wrong beliefs, well, number one, we suppress the truth, right? The, tr- the truth is heard, and then we suppress it. And then we don't glorify God, right? We don't glorify God for the things that are going on in our lives. We don't show the gratitude. And so by not showing gratitude to God, we're automatically, by implication, giving credit to ourselves, right? We're taking the glory for ourselves, right? I did this in my life. This is what I accomplished, And then third, we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve something created instead of the creator. I learned this in my own salvation story, and um, when I got saved, I was 16, I was working at Subway, and a guy comes up to me, and I'm wearing a cross around my neck, and he's like, hey man, that's a cool cross, and I'm like, oh, thanks, you know, and he's like, "Uh, um, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah, sure, and he says, well, if you died today, um, how sure would you be that you're going to heaven? Like, you know, 80%, 70%, 100%. And I felt really good about myself, you know. Like, man, I said, well, uh, I'd say about 95%, you know. And I'm thinking, I'll pro- I thought he was going to be like, whoa, like, you're an awesome Christian. And instead, he's like, well, how would you like to be 100% sure? And I'm thinking, okay, well, yeah, <laughs> of course I'd like to be 100% sure I'm going to heaven. So he goes, well, let's meet up after work. And so we did. And there's a gas station over there across from Uri's truck stop up there on 24, 27, and 52 that's closed down now. But we went over there, and uh, we sat there till probably 2 o'clock in the morning. He was just walking me through a little tracks book from Campus Crusade for Christ and just showing me how, you know, I'm a sinner separated from God, and, and Jesus is the only way to, uh, to salvation, and I need to receive him as my Savior and Lord. And, and as he was going through this, it just made so much sense. Like, it was just like, why hadn't anyone told me this before? I'd been raised in church my whole life, and never, I'd never, I've never felt like I heard this message. People had told me Jesus was the Son of God, but I never heard that I needed to receive Christ as Savior. And so I just thought, well, great. He told me, and now I can do it, and this will be awesome. So I go home. I give my life to the Lord. And the next day, I'm thinking, well, this is going to be great. I'm going to go tell all my friends. We're all going to get saved. Right? It's going to be awesome. We're all going to be Christians together. We're all going to heaven. This will be awesome. And so I go, and I tell my friends, and, and what do you think their reaction was? They didn't get it, right? They looked at me, and they're like, well, that's good for you, man, I guess. You know, and I remember one of my friends even said, you know, I just kind of look at it like a buffet, you know, like you just take a little bit of this and take a little bit of that and and kind of move on. And I'm just thinking, but no, man, like, don't you understand? Like, if you don't receive Jesus, you, you can't go to heaven. Like, that's the way this works. And they didn't get it. And I thought for a long time, like, well, maybe I didn't explain it right or something because these were smart guys. We were all in the, the upper part of our class in high school, and, and most of them were, quite frankly, smarter than I was. And so I thought, well, if I can get it, surely they can get it. And they didn't. And it wasn't until years later that, that I learned in this truth that they didn't get it because it hadn't been revealed to them. Or it had been revealed to them, and they were suppressing it. Right? One or the other. The reality is that it's not about how good I present the gospel. It's about the Spirit of God speaking to them and revealing it to them as truth. So why do I believe what I believe? Because the God of the universe revealed his word to me as truth, and I chose to believe with faith that had been freely given to me. And that's the point. 
is that I could sit here all day long and I could give you facts upon facts upon facts, but the reality is that only God himself can reveal truth to you and convince you that he is the only way. So what makes the Bible so important? Well, there's three things that I'll, I'll pull out of this for you that kind of tie it up. One is that it points to Jesus. That's probably the most important thing. The second thing is that it's pr- God's primary way of speaking to us. Right? The Word is God's primary way of speaking to us. And the third thing is that it is the source of truth for our lives. God's Word is the source of truth for our lives. But here's the real question. What's God revealed to you? What do you believe? What is God saying to you? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was crucified and raised to life, and like Peter, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. You didn't come to Christ, or you're not having that understanding because you're smart. Because our eyes were darkened by sin, right? The covering of sin darkened our eyes so that we can't see that truth until God reveals it to us. And if you, if you can see that today, and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then man, today is your day, right? Today is the day of salvation. You are blessed. And if you're someone who, maybe, maybe you are a believer, right? And you've maybe been a believer for a long time, and maybe you struggled with hearing from God or, you know, or, or wondering about the, the role that the Word plays in your life, I just want to encourage you today that God is with you, that He hears you, and that He's speaking to you. And if you'll, if you'll trust him, if you'll go to his word and trust him, he will make your path straight. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for this time together, Lord, and I thank you for each family and person represented here, Lord, and I thank you that in your great love for us, God, that you have called us out of darkness into light. Lord, that you have reached into whatever circumstance of our lives that we are in, Lord, and you have told us that we are loved and that you want us, God. And that once, Lord, we come to you in faith, Lord, that you are staying with us, Lord, that you don't just bring us to faith and then leave us alone, but you stay with us, God, and you shape us and you mold us and you are speaking to us. Lord, if anyone here, Lord, is doubting that, I just want them to know right now, Lord, that you are with them. And I pray, God, that they would just See those words written in their mind's eye right now, that Jesus is with them, and that you love them. And that's not their own thought, but that is the Spirit of God speaking. And so I thank you, Lord, for your confirmation of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that we can trust you in your word and what it says, and we don't have to rely on feelings or anything else, Lord, but we can rely on truth and the truth has been confirmed in us. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.